Hey everyone, so as I'm recording this little intro, I've actually just got done recording the first story that you're about to listen to. It started raining halfway through the recording, but I was kind of in the groove and didn't want to stop, so there, there's like actual rain in the background, which is kind of funny, but I hope it's not too distracting. The regular rain will be there as well, but you probably honestly want to be able to hear it, but if you hear like a double rain or there's some... There's more background noise than usual. That's probably what it is. Just wanted to clear that up. Hope it doesn't bother you too much. Um, now I will shut up and let you listen to tonight's stories. Hope you enjoy. You better get home before it gets dark. My father would always say that when I visited him. And at the time, I took it as just him being worried about me driving home alone at night, as though his only daughter didn't work and go out more evenings than not. It could have irritated me, I guess, or I could have taken it as some sign that he was tired of me being around, but he was always so sweet and earnest about it. I could tell he enjoyed my visits, and that he really was worried about me staying out too late. Silly as that was. It wasn't until he was dead that something else occurred to me. That since I was probably 21, 22, my father had never let me stay overnight in his house. I got the call late Sunday morning. There had been a wellness check the day before after a neighbor heard yelling coming from the house and no one would come to the door. When the cops went in, they found my father laying dead on the kitchen floor. I asked why it had taken so long for me to get the call and the detective was apologetic. He said that part of it had been a mix-up about who to call. I was the only child of two only children, and Mom had passed when I was in middle school. The other part? Well, he said he talked to me about it when I got there to identify the body. I tried to press him for more details over the phone, but he said it was best to wait so he could explain everything more fully. It was a mess, the whole drive over. My father had only been 52 and in pretty decent health as far as I knew, and the suddenness of it all was hitting me hard. What made it worse was that I wasn't being told. The cause of death, circumstances beyond him being in the kitchen, and then there was this nebulous talk the detective wanted to have when I got there. By the time I pulled up at County Hospital, I was wound so tight I felt like I might jump out of my skin as I waited for the elevator to take me down to the morgue floor. It was 20 minutes early, but when the doors opened, I saw a heavy-set man in his 60s looking up at me uncertainly. You Dana? I nodded. Yeah. Detective Culp? He smiled. Culpepper, but close enough. He shook my hand and beckoned for me to follow him into a small waiting room his smile fading as his expression grew more pensive. I'll go in with you to view the body, but we need to talk second first. When we were seated, he looked down at his broad hands bemusedly, as though he wasn't sure how to act. Detective, is there something going on with my father's death? He jerked his eyes up and shrugged, almost apologetically. Not exactly. Not in the way you might think, at least. The ME did the autopsy this morning. 
He held up his hand as though to ward off any potential anger from me. Standard procedure when we have a suspicious staff. I assure you and... I broke in. Sorry, you're you're saying you think my father's death was... Suspicious. And you said over the phone a neighbor had heard yelling. Do... Do you think someone killed him? Culpepper frowned slightly as he looked up at the ceiling. <sighs> no... Not exactly. I mean, no. We we don't currently think anyone killed your father. The yelling, well, that may well have been him. And the examiner is still waiting on blood work, but so far she hasn't found any specific cause of death, which, surprisingly, isn't as uncommon as you might think. Some people just stop, I guess. When that happens, it just... It's written up as unknown or heart failure. Like a doc buddy of mine once said, everybody dies of the same thing. Their heart stops beating for too long. He met my eyes and flushed a little. Sorry, I wasn't trying to make light of... I shook my head. No, it's okay, but... Why'd you guys think it was suspicious? If there's not any obvious signs of him being injured... His red face swiftly paled as he looked away again. It wasn't that there were no injuries. It's just that they were all odd. In the nature of them, the way everything looked, the detective cleared his throat and seemed to have forced himself to ask the next question. Do you know if anyone could have been abusing your father? Or if he was into any kind of, well, alternative lifestyle? My eyes widened. What? No. What are you asking me? What did you find? Shuddering slightly, he glanced back up at me. Ma'am, he was... He was covered in bite marks. Not fresh ones, other than one or two, and even those were scabbed over when we found him. Culpepper stood up and began to pace around the small room. Examiner says that based on the scar tissue and whatnot, most of them are years old. That... You mean like bug bites? The older man froze as though just realizing he'd left out a key detail and wasn't yet past the worst part of the conversation. No. Um, doctor said they all look like human bites. Like a person bit them, or people, I guess not all the bites are the same size. You can only see the top layer of bites in several spots. I say top layer because in a number of places there's old scar tissue overlapping underneath. I counted 47 bites total, but my guess it's actually much higher than that. The medical examiner pointed to a red oval on my father's cheek with a pen. This one and one on his right buttocks were the freshest. Only a day or two of pre-mortem would be my guess. Culpepper glowered at the woman. Jeez, Mary, she doesn't even know the gory details. The examiner flicked her eyes at Culpepper and then at me. I think she can decide how much detail she wants, Jimmy. I nodded distractedly. Everything felt staticky and unreal. This... 
None of this could be right. There had to... Had to have been some mistake. I look back down at my father's face and the two scarlet crescents burning there. Or if not a... I don't understand. Taking a step back, I shook my head. I would have known. I would have seen them, wouldn't I? They both looked at me sympathetically, but it was the doctor that spoke. Not necessarily. Aside from the recent one on his face, all the other bites are primarily confined to his torso and his... waist region. None are on his arms or legs or other places they'd be commonly seen unless you had to take care of your father at some point where you need to bathe him or whatnot. I let out a short, humorless laugh. <laughs> no, he was never bad sick, and he didn't want to help with anything. Culpepper nodded and started shuffling forward. Well, he said this body is him, so that's all we needed. Let me get you. I stared at him. What are you... No. You need to find out what happened to him. You're telling me that different people were going in and fucking biting him for years? And he let them without asking for help or telling anybody? Why would he... Not different people. At least in the bites I can clearly discern, I think it's likely that the wounds all came from the same source. She gestured to the sheet covering up to the neck. If you want, I can... Culpepper shot her a dark look and she trailed off with a shrug. I frowned at the detective. She said it was different people. Different size bites, you said. Not that it makes it that much difference, maybe, but at least if it's just one person, it makes a bit more sense. He let out a sigh. Me and the doc are of differing opinion on that point, is why. The doctor rolled her eyes. It's not a difference of opinion so much as he's stubborn and probably wrong. What I said is that it is likely the same person based on the bite patterns, but... I can't deny that there are at least a dozen different sizes of bites on your father's body. Clenching my fist, I shook my head. Well, then you're saying it was from a lot of different people. The woman's expression softened a little. No, honey. What I'm saying is... <sighs> Look... The oldest bites I can make out are the smallest. The newer bites tend to get larger up to a certain point and then stop growing. Looking back down at my father, she shrugged slightly. I can't explain it, but it looks to me that the same person was biting him the entire time. They were just a lot smaller when they started. Miss Pembry, Dana, before you go, I... I want to apologize for how we told you about all this. Culpepper shook his head and looked out across the hospital parking lot. It's got us confused, too. And I assure you we're looking at every lead, but I still wish we'd found a better way to drop all this on you. I nodded, my voice thick with emotion. I... I understand. Just... If someone was hurting my dad, you find him, or them, okay? Please. The detective met my eyes. 
I swear we'll try our best. And his face brightened. Hey, I wanted to ask you something, too. When's the last time you talked to him? He didn't call or text you around this time that this would have happened. His passing, I mean. Mary said it was probably about an hour before we got there, and based on the neighbor's call, that'd make it about three yesterday afternoon. Sniffling, I nodded. No, I think the last time I talked to him was on the phone Thursday, maybe. He didn't sound weird or anything. And I sent him a text after that, maybe Friday, early Saturday, but he doesn't always get them. Out where he lives, uh, where he lived. The cell service switched to roaming a lot, so there are times when he won't get texts I send for a few hours or even a day or two. Staying with the stuff from him to me. I gave a watery laugh. <laughs> and that's when he remembers to keep it charged. Pulling my phone out of my pocket, I checked it again with a sigh. <sighs> but no. Nothing. Okay. It was worth asking. They took the phone into evidence this morning, but I think it was dead. If they get it going again and we find anything, I'll let you know. And if you get any delayed messages, please save a screenshot and let me know. I told him I would and headed for the car. I considered going back home, but I knew I should stop by his house first, if only to make sure everything was locked up tight. So, stomach in knots, I turned left instead of right at the highway and headed out toward Dad's place. It looked so normal when I pulled up. Culpepper had warned me the crime scene people in EMS might have left a mess, but the front of the house looked undisturbed, and when I went inside, the only signs something was amiss were some dirty footprints in the front hall and the kitchen furniture being slid back against the wall. Walking through the house, I felt a new wave of shock and sadness. In some ways, this house was my father, and seeing all his stuff, all the memories that I had of him, and growing up here, well, everywhere I looked, I saw a ghost, and seeing it all made me feel more alone, but it also comforted me some, too, as though being around my dad's stuff was a little bit like being around him still. Looking out the kitchen window, I saw it was already getting dark. I was exhausted, and I didn't want to drive four hours back home. Didn't want to sit there wondering what horrible things had happened to my father and how and why, all while feeling even sadder than I would here. Maybe if I stayed in town a day or two, I could help Culpepper find out what really happened to him. I went out into the living room and lay down on the sofa. I needed a nap, at least. When I woke up, I could figure out what I should... I woke up to a rumble from my pocket. Pulling out my phone, I saw it was a call from Culpepper. Hello? Hey, just letting you know, our technology guy got the phone charged up and turned on. Pulled everything from it, and he didn't see any visible texts or calls from you. Oh. Okay. That's good, I guess. He paused, and then... 
Yeah, but he also said he could see things that had been deleted. Not exactly what, but some texts to you were missing. No big deal, probably. And if they were sent at all, we should be able to get copies from a phone company. Just didn't want you getting a delayed message and not expecting it. Let me know if you do. Yeah, um... Yeah, I will. I closed my eyes again, but it was no use. It was nearly midnight now. While I was still feeling tired, I was also full of a restless energy that made it hard to relax, let alone go back to sleep. The house felt strange now in the dark, and after a few minutes of resisting the impulse, I started going through the house, turning on all the lights. I was switching on the lamp next to Dad's bed when my phone buzzed again. When I looked at it, my stomach dropped. It was a text from him. Sorry I couldn't tell you. He wouldn't let me. And then another. Only kept you safe. It leaves with me. Hands trembling, I took screenshots and texted them to Culpepper. What did they mean? Had he gone crazy? Was someone forcing him to... What? Be tortured by them? And what did it leaves with me even mean? I didn't have answers to any of it, but I wasn't staying in this house any longer. I drive back to town, find Culpepper, and find a motel or something. Because even now, with all the lights on, it... It was another buzz. Don't go to the house. I think I can stop it. If I go, it goes too. But it's... I was heading back through the house now, trying to make my way to the front door. I didn't remember the house being so big, so dark. Something rustled behind me and I broke into a run. I was reaching for the doorknob, leading outside when something struck me from behind. Screaming, I rolled against the door and into the corner of the front hall, even as a searing pain flared across my side. Forcing myself not to panic, I stepped back to the door and yanked it open, running out into the night as I stripped off my shirt. There was nothing on me that I could tell, but there had been. There had been, and... Oh, God, I was bleeding. Heart pounding, I ran and got in my car and locked the doors. I wanted to check my side, but first I had to get away from that place. Backing out too fast, I fishtailed and then corrected, shooting down the highway and back toward the edge of town. It wasn't until I reached a closed gas station inside the city limits that I pulled over and turned on interior lights to check what had happened to my side. I was still bleeding, but only a little now. The twin crescents below my ribs had somehow started to heal, though they were still burning and very painful to the touch. I sat shaking as I stared at the bite mark. It was very similar to what I'd seen on my father's face, but... Buzz. A new text message popped up on my phone in the passenger seat. Smart. And last night I thought I heard a baby crying. But it was much smaller. Halloween is a big deal at my house. 
My parents are super into it. Our house is the Halloween house of the block. You know the one I'm talking about. The one with all the elaborate decorations that take days to put up and days to take down. My mom used to hand sew all of our costumes. Whatever we wanted to be, we got. I remember one year she sewed my own Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles costume. (laughs) It must have taken her weeks. That's the rule of Halloween, she'd tell my brother Sammy and me. For just one day, you get to be whoever you want to be. That's a gift. Make sure you don't waste it. So it's unthinkable now that my parents would let us spend Halloween anywhere away from home. I'm still not really sure what prompted their decision. My parents deny it to this day, but I think they were having some problems in their marriage and they just wanted Sammy and I sent away while they talked it out. I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter. The point is, on Friday, October 29th, 1999, my parents packed some duffel bags for my brother and I, complete with our handmade costumes, and sent us off to Halloween camp. Yeah, you heard that right. See, when you think of sleepaway camps, you probably think of summer, right? Because what kid in their right mind is going to go to camp at the end of October? Even if you don't live in a frigidly cold climate, there's school to think of. The camp was a new thing that had opened up about three hours away from my hometown. It promised a fun-filled Halloween extravaganza for the kids. And a quiet weekend for the parents. My brother and I were actually really excited to go. I know, I know. Even then, we were both a bunch of nerds, but it sounded super cool to the both of us. A whole weekend dedicated to Halloween without being under a watchful eye of our protective, though admittedly morbid, parents. Count us both in. So that Friday, my parents took us out of school early. Just before lunch, we started the long drive to the southern half of the state. Sammy and I chatted excitedly the entire time about our weekend away. Mom and Dad got us McDonald's, which they never did. We had a really great time. Sammy didn't start getting nervous until Mom and Dad pulled up to the campsite. What if we need to call you or something? He asked. I can hear the worry in his voice. What he really wanted to ask was, what if he wanted to call because he was homesick? Would they come get us if he decided he didn't want to stay? Sammy was kind of a baby about stuff like that, even though he was already eight years old. He hated staying away from home. You'll be just fine, champ. You two will have a wonderful time, and if you need anything, anything at all, your brother Ron will be there to talk you through it, said my dad. I gave Sammy's hand a squeeze to reassure him. Not because I'm the kind-hearted older brother, mind you, but because I didn't want him crying and whining and ruining this for me. As soon as we'd seen the gates for the camp, my excitement skyrocketed. The gate to the camp was made of old wood, now painted black with skeletons tied to the sign. The sign read, Welcome to Camp Halloween, in red, dripping letters. A few bats and spiders hung from the bottom of the sign and waved in the breeze as though to welcome us. I smiled at the sight. My brother shivered a little. My parents unloaded our duffel bags and brought us into camp. A small table was set up, neatly labeled registration. 
Sitting there were two camp counselors in black shirts with Camp Halloween printed in red on the front pocket. Hi there. Welcome to Camp Halloween, where the spirit of Halloween is never laid to rest. What name are your kids under? The camp counselor who greeted us was a beautiful, tall brunette girl. She couldn't have been more than 19. My 12-year-old heart stopped when she smiled at me, her eyes sparkling green in the sunlight. As my parents handed her our registration forms, we heard another counselor a few yards away greet some new kids. Hey, welcome to Camp Halloween where we celebrate the devil's birthday. What do you want? My parents looked over in disgust and I followed their gaze. My eyes laid upon the tallest, biggest guy I had ever seen. Seriously, he had to be almost seven feet tall and he definitely weighed more than both of my parents combined. He looked like he could crush me between two of his fingers if he wanted to. He had shaggy black hair and a full beard. He stared at the parents he'd been addressing with a bored look in his eyes that made me feel almost... squeamish, although I couldn't tell why. Oh, don't mind him. He's just a little... a little grumpy today. She laughed nervously. That's Seamus, and my name's Lizzie. Don't worry. We're going to keep a gray eye on your kids, and they're going to have a ton of fun. Won't we, guys? Yes, Miss Lizzie, I said and flashed her my dazzling smile. She laughed at the title I gave her, just like I knew she would. Next to me, Sammy mumbled his assent. His eyes were fixed on the ground. I knew he was feeling nervous. Hey, what's your name? She asked my brother. He looked up and answered so quietly I could barely hear him. Sammy? That's a great name. Are you a little nervous to be away from home? He glanced at me before nodding slightly. That's okay. Sometimes I get nervous when I stay away from home too, but guess what? Since you're staying here, I have something very special for you and your brother. That got Sammy's attention. What is it? She rummaged behind the table and pulled out two Oreos on sticks. They'd been dipped in chocolate and chocolate wings had been attached. They'd been decorated to look like little bats. Here you go. (laughs) And believe me, there's plenty more where that came from. Sammy smiled and grabbed the treat, relaxing a little next to me. Lizzie's masterful handling of my little brother made me fall in love with her even more. I started mentally calculating our age difference, wondering if she would be okay with dating a younger guy. My parents filled out our registration forms, and Lizzie told us we'd be staying in cabin four. My parents walked over with us and helped us get settled in. Initially, they'd put Sammy in cabin four and me in cabin eight, but Lizzie quickly switched it so we could stay together. I wouldn't have minded being away from my annoying little brother for a little while, but he would have just come crying for me every night if they split us up, and we all knew it. So, we picked a set of bunk beds and sat against the east wall. There were four sets of bunk beds in total, which meant eight kids in the cabin. Against the wall, there was a single bed. That was for our counselor, Lizzie explained. Every cabin has a counselor so that the kids have eyes on them 24-7. Safety is our top priority. She flashed my parents a beautiful smile. So, Sammy and I set up in cabin four. My parents gave us their tearful goodbyes and we joined the rest of the kids in Halloween activities that had already begun. Those first few days were really fun. We had cool activities planned every day, carving pumpkins, making paper back crafts, decorating the cabins. 
On Saturday night, we had a movie night. The little kids watched Hocus Pocus, but the big kids, me included, got to watch a horror movie. PG-13, of course. Overall, it was a really great time. The only thing that wasn't great was Cabin 4 and our counselor, Seamus. Since Lizzie seemed to like Seamus, I thought that I'd give him a try, especially since he was staying in Cabin 4 with us. To be fair, I can see why she thought he was nice. When he was around her, he smiled and joked with her and played with the kids like normal. But once our cabin doors closed, he became an entirely different person. The first night, Sammy cried. He wasn't being real loud or anything, he just missed home. I was pretty used to it, so I climbed down from the top bunk to lay with him on the bottom bunk. I didn't even notice Seamus was there, watching us. What the fuck are you doing? He asked and flipped on the light. None of us were asleep yet, so the kids all stared at us as I stood by Sammy's bed, wide-eyed and nervous. Uh, Sammy's just a little homesick, so I thought... You thought what? Seamus' voice was low and quiet. I didn't like it. At all. Well, I, I, I thought I'd lay down here with him until he fell asleep. Is that right? Asked Seamus. Is that what you thought? I glanced at Sammy. Tears still stood in his eyes and his breathing was ragged. He looked absolutely terrified. Yeah, I answered. Seamus walked toward me and picked me up. He threw me back on the top bunk so hard I bounced against the wall. I scrambled to the edge of the bed and watching over the side as he leaned over my little brother. Listen to me, you little pussy shit. You're going to shut the fuck up and go to sleep or I will ruin your fucking life. You got it? Sammy nodded. I noticed he was clutching the blanket hard against his body and his hands were trembling. I wanted to go down there and comfort him to stand up to Seamus, but I was too afraid. I was frozen in my spot. Seamus stood back up and flicked the lights off. Now everyone, go the fuck to sleep. Not a single person moved until morning. Seamus' attitude got worse over the next few days, if you can believe it. Every time we were in the cabin, he was screaming at us. He threw things against the wall, he cussed us out. He said things that are so horrible, I won't repeat them here. Not just for your sake, but for mine. On Saturday night, I ended up on his shit list. We were watching a scary movie. I remember it was Friday the 13th, and I had scored a seat next to Lizzie. It was like a dream, sitting next to her the whole movie. I pretended not to be scared even though I was actually pretty terrified during the whole thing. I'm sure she could tell, but she told me that she was very impressed with how brave I was. I was still soaring on that high as I walked back to the cabin. I was reaching for the door when I felt a hand grab my shirt collar and drag me to the side of the cabin, forcing me away to the camp. The fuck do you think you're doing, you little shit? It was Seamus. He had me penned against the side of the cabin and was leaning over me, breathing in my ear. Nothing. I I wasn't doing anything. 
Nice try, you little shit. You think you're going to try and get with Lizzie? You think you're going to fuck her? You want some of that pussy, do you? I felt all the blood drain out of my face. Half of me was terrified and disgusted. I didn't like this. I didn't like what was happening at all. The other half of me was flying into a blind rage. How dare he talk about her like that? Listen to me. You stay the fuck away from her. She belongs to me. She'd never touch a loser little virgin like you. He held me pinned there for a few moments, completely silent. It was probably the scariest part, being pinned against the wall just waiting to see what he would do next. All he did was release me. He stepped back and I ran into the cabin, terrified. I climbed up into the bed and squeezed myself hard against the wall, making myself as small as possible. Seamus came in 30 minutes later and turned out the light. I didn't get any sleep that night. The next day was Halloween. I was on edge the whole day, looking over my shoulder, waiting for Seamus to appear out of nowhere and beat the shit out of me. I stuck close to Sammy because I was worried about him, too. Something was wrong with that guy. And if I'd been smart, I would have told one of the other counselors. As it was, I was too afraid they'd tell him and he'd hurt me. Or worse. Maybe it's best I didn't tell anyone. Maybe they wouldn't have helped anyway. The other counselors seemed to think he was harmless, or harmless enough. He had, after all, been hired there. And even though people surely must have heard him screaming at us at the cabin after dark, nobody ever said a word. Not one. At any rate, I made sure that both Sammy and I stayed far away from Lizzie that day. It was a good thing, too, because Seamus remained glued to her side. They laughed and joked with each other, although I could have sworn a few times she looked sort of uncomfortable. I brushed it off and decided I was seeing what I wanted to see. I didn't want to get involved. That day went on as normal. We played some Halloween games and made some crafts, the usual stuff. That night, however, was different. That night was the Halloween dance. Now, obviously, we were in a camp in the middle of the woods, so it's not like us kids could go trick-or-treating. Instead, we'd all be dressing up and going to a masquerade party. There'd be punch, bobbing for apples, dancing. We would each get a bag of candy, too. There were rumors that all the kids would get a caramel apple. We all returned to our cabins around 8 o'clock that night to get dressed in our costumes. The party was going to go from 9 to midnight. We were all excited. I helped Sammy get into his costume. He wanted to be Superman. I thought that was pretty lame because aren't you supposed to be something scary for Halloween? But he was my little brother, so I helped him get ready anyway. Mom had packed some hair gel so I could help him with the little split curl. He was so excited. He was bouncing on his feet and I had to tell him to hold still more than once. I was Michael Myers that Halloween. 
he was the coolest movie villain I'd seen up to that point. My mom made the jumpsuit and put fake blood stains on it. She bought the mask, and together we made the fake butcher's knife. I was just grabbing my mask when I heard Seamus walking up to the cabin door. A terrible feeling wormed its way into my gut. It's that feeling you get when you know you messed up, but you're waiting for your parents to find out when they get home. That horrible, sinking hopelessness. I don't know why I got it. Maybe instinct, maybe some some kind of sixth sense. Who knows? But immediately I knew that something was wrong. Sammy, hide under the bed. What? Sammy looked up at me in confusion. The older kids didn't notice me dragging him to the floor, too busy with their costume preparation. I'm not kidding, Sammy. Hide under the bed, and don't come out until I say it's okay. You promise? Sammy scooted under the bed, looking at me in confusion. But he nodded and said, I promise. I straightened up just as Seamus opened the door. All of us kids stopped talking when Seamus stood in that doorway. The way he looked at us, I don't know, it was like he wasn't even human anymore. Like whatever humanity he might have had had been sucked out through his eyes, leaving them glassy and doll-like. I wonder now if he'd been on drugs. I guess I could go back and look at the police report, but I'd really rather not. He shut the door and stared at us. We stared back. Nobody moved. He motioned to a kid from the bed next to mine and Sammy's. Hey, dipshit. Come over here. I want to talk to you. I wish I could remember that kid's name. It was all over the news later. The kid hesitated, but he knew better than to disobey a direct order from Seamus. He walked over tentatively until he stood next to the towering psycho. Seamus put his hand on the kid's shoulders. In a parody of comforting gesture, he tightened his grip to stop him from getting away. You excited for the dance? he asked. Uh, yeah, the kid answered. You gonna dance with some of the pretty girls? Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah, I bet you think you are, you fucking nerd, he sneered. You think any of them will want anything to do with a fucking creep like you? I, uh, uh... The kid was stammering now, going beat red. I prayed he would find an answer that pleased Seamus, anything to stop whatever was going on. You know, you'd have better luck if your face wasn't so screwed up. You ever think of that? Fixing your face? The kid didn't answer this time. He just stared at Seamus. He was shaking so hard his teeth were chattering. Seamus smiled at him. Here. How about I help you? Let me just fix your face for you, kid. I knew what was going to happen a split second before Seamus even tensed his arm. Which... Doesn't really matter, I guess. There was nothing I could do. Seamus grabbed the kid's arm and smashed them face first into the wall. He smashed them so hard that I heard the crunch of his bones. The 
kid didn't even get to scream. He fell to the floor, his glasses smashed so far into his face that they probably lodged into his bone. His whole face was a ruined mass of pulp. And he wasn't breathing. One of the kids on the other side of the cabin screamed. I probably would have joined him if only I had been able to breathe. Shut the fuck up, screamed Seamus, in a voice so loud that it must have been heard all the way across camp. But I held no illusions that someone would be coming to help us. Seamus grabbed the screaming kid and started to choke him, all the while screaming at him. He was a few steps away from the door now. I stared at the distance separating Seamus from the door and then wondered if maybe, just maybe, if I ran fast enough. But my brother. I mentally groaned, still unable to actually make a sound. Sammy would die if I left him alone here. I was sure of it. Sometimes little squirt annoyed me, sure, but he was my brother and I loved him. I wasn't leaving him there to get murdered. Psst, Ron. Hey, Ron. I saw Sammy peek out from under the bed and my heart stopped. Sammy, what did I tell you? Get back under there, I hissed. Seamus didn't notice. His hands were still wrapped around the kid whose face had turned blue and whose struggles were getting weaker. Get down here, I found something. Please, Ron, please. As I stood there, wondering if I should risk it, the screaming kid's bunkmate made a dash for the door. He didn't even make it four steps. Seamus' unoccupied hand snaked out and grabbed his skull. He crushed his thumb into the kid's left eye and blood poured out while he screamed. I took the chance. I slid under the bed, my heart pumping in my throat. I can only pray to God that he hadn't seen me. Ron, look! Sammy crawled so far under the bed that he was pressed against the wall. I could see why. The wall was missing a chunk, leaving a small hole. I knew Sammy could fit through it. I wasn't so sure if I could. Sammy crawl out of there and wait for me. Sammy nodded and shimmied through. He slid right through without so much as a scratch. I wish that was that small. I started to pull myself through the hole. My heart was beating so hard that all I wanted to do was struggle and scream, but I knew that I had to be quiet and go slowly. It took some trying, and I got snagged on some splinters a few times, but finally we were both out. I grabbed Sammy's hand, and we started to run. I knew the main office was near the entrance to the camp, and there was a phone inside. If we were lucky, someone would be in there to help us. The camp looked deserted at that moment. All the kids were in their cabins getting ready. The other counselors were nowhere to be seen. We heard the door to cabin four bang open. Where the fuck did you go, you little shits? Seamus bellowed. It didn't take him long to catch sight of us, being as we hadn't made it very far. He started to run after us, and even though he was way bigger than we were, he was also faster. We got lucky, because at that moment, Lizzie exited the main office. She jogged toward us, and then we ran behind her, taking shelter. The relief I felt was 
dizzying. Seamus liked her so he wouldn't hurt her and she'd protect us. Everything was going to be okay. Seamus, what the hell, dude? What are you doing? She asked. Her face went pale as she looked down at his left hand. I followed her gaze and saw what she saw. Blood. Seamus didn't seem to realize what she'd seen. I caught those two little punks peeking in one of the girls' cabins while they were changing. I'm just going to give them a good talking to. Before Lizzie could answer, Sammy shouted, No, we weren't. We weren't doing anything. And neither were those other kids. What other kids? Gasped Lizzie. But I could tell she already knew. Or at least she guessed. The blood had given Seamus away. I don't know what the fuck is going on with you, but this ends now. I'm calling the police. Lizzie started to back away, keeping us shielded behind her. We weren't far from the main office. I was sure that we could make it. My hopes were shattered when Seamus lunged forward and grabbed her by the neck. He lifted her by the throat and hissed in her face. Listen here, you stuck-up prude little bitch. I will fucking gut you. Do you hear me? I will fuck you up so badly your own family won't be able to identify the body. I should have left them there, grabbed Sammy, and run for the main office. I should have left Lizzie to fend for herself. I I mean, I was only twelve, but I was a stupidly brave twelve-year-old, at least in that moment, and I found myself doing the stupidest possible thing anyone could do in that situation. Sammy, run! I looked at my brother, and he saw that I was serious. He took off toward the woods, and I ran at Seamus and kicked him in the shin as hard as I could, intent on freeing Lizzie. It was like kicking a fucking tree trunk. Seriously, he didn't even flinch. He just looked down at me, and I could see that all I'd done was piss him off. He let Lizzie go, and she crumpled to the ground. I heard her gasp for air, so at least I knew that she was alive. He yanked me towards him and grabbed me by my jaw. His hand was so large that my jaw fit into his palm. He grasped the lower half of my face and I realized that he'd meant to break it. You're a real annoying little shit, you know that. He sat breathing into my face. His breath stank of something fierce. But you're not going to be around much longer to annoy people. After I rip off your fucking jaw, I'm taking out your tongue too. Gonna do it so fast so you're awake when you bleed out. How do you like that, you little piece of shit? How do you... Police! Get your hands in the air! In the heat of the moment, I hadn't even heard them pull up. I hadn't seen the flashing red and blue lights, and I could tell by the look in Seamus' eyes he hadn't either. He'd been too busy killing me, and I'd been too busy preparing to die. He looked up at them and snarled. Really and truly snarled like a fucking werewolf or something. He didn't step away from me didn't let go. He wasn't afraid. He just looked even more angry. Let the kid go and put your hands in the air. I could hear that there were two policemen at least, but there may have been more. I wasn't able to turn around and look. Put the kid down, Seamus. I mean it, or I will have to shoot you. 
Everything was going so fast, spiraling so far out of control. I wanted to make it stop, so I started to struggle. Seamus's eyes darkened and his hand tensed. He started squeezing my jaw, and I was certain he was going to rip it off. Suddenly, a sound exploded in my ears, and Seamus let go of me as though I was on fire. He stumbled backward as I fell to the ground, clutching my ears and screaming. Two more shots, and Seamus went down. I didn't realize until much later that they'd actually shot him and killed him right in front of me. I stared at his body, waiting for him to get up and attack as Lizzie crawled over to me, grabbing and holding me to her. Are you okay, Ron? Are you okay? Oh my God, what happened? How could this happen? I barely heard her. I was going into shock. His body was the last thing I saw as I slipped into unconsciousness. Seamus Pommier killed four people that night. Three of them were children in my cabin. The fourth was another camp counselor whose body was found in the woods the next day. Same woods where they found my brother Sammy. It took them six hours to find him. I begged to go with the search team. I told them correctly, might I add, that Sammy wouldn't come out unless he heard me calling for him. They didn't want to risk it, and instead had me hauled off to a hospital. After six hours of combing through the trees, they found him, sitting on the ground next to an old stump, sobbing. He wouldn't calm down until they brought him to me. Those first hours after the incident are kind of a blur. In fact, so were the first few days. It wasn't until much later that we could piece together a story. Seamus had been hired by the dean of the camp, who also happened to be his uncle. He was hired as a favor to the dean's brother. The dean, unfortunately, knew about Seamus' troubled past, his run-ins with the law, the animals he tortured and murdered, the time he spent at the school for boys nearby. But he'd hired him anyway. He would have lost face with his family if he hadn't. He was sued by every parent whose child attended that camp, mine included. It turned out that he'd stopped any of the counselors from intervening when they heard Seamus screaming at us. And he wouldn't let any of them use the phone in the main office to call the police. The only reason the police showed up is that another counselor used their personal cell phone to call the cops. If they hadn't, I'd be dead by now. His negligence landed him in jail. I don't know if he ever got out. The cops were questioned, too. Some people were appalled that they'd shot Seamus while he was essentially holding me hostage. Cops claimed that they had a clear shot at his chest, well above my head. Personally, I'm glad they shot him. That fucker didn't deserve to live. I don't know what happened to the other kids in the cabin or what happened to Lizzie. I'd really like to know if she's okay, how she turned out, but I can't bring myself to look. I'm too afraid that I won't like what I find, you know? As for Sammy and me, well... 
could be worse. The incident probably made us both a little less trusting of people, a little more skittish. I still have nightmares about it sometimes, and I'm sure he does too, but my parents did a good job helping us out with the trauma. We went to see a therapist. My parents helped us reclaim the good parts of Halloween that we always liked. Sammy and I both still celebrate it every year, although I stay away from slasher flicks when October rolls around. We both made it out. We're both okay. Well, except for one thing. You see, every once in a while I'll see someone. Someone tall and big with a scraggly beard. Just out and about, shopping or going on a walk or talking in the subway. And even though I saw Seamus die, even though I know he's cold in the ground or what's left of him anyway, I'm always looking over my shoulder. I'm always afraid. Because if anybody could come back from the dead, it would be him. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed tonight's stories. I know the second one was a little intense at some points, but I thought it was a really cool story. And of course, I'm in the Halloween spirit, even though it's not even September yet. But I don't know. I'm just kind of ready for Halloween and October and fall. And I just, ugh, I'm so tired of being hot. It's hot where I am. So I think that's part of the reason why I'm ready to just get get to October and fall and just be cold all the time. Much rather be cold than hot. Would you rather be cold than hot? I would like to know in the comment section below. Also, while you're down there, let me know what are your plans for Halloween? Do you plan on doing anything different this year? Given the way everything has been happening lately, it looks like the the COVID is still going to be pretty relevant once Halloween rolls around. So, is that affecting your plans? Do you have plans already? Do you have any idea what you're doing? I don't know what I'm doing, but uh, just let me know in the comment section below. Another question. Have any of you ever been to any kind of sleepaway camp? Summer camp? Halloween camp? Whatever it may be. Personally, no, I haven't. I've been camping like three or four times as a kid, but that's pretty much it. Never never went to camp, but I think it'd, I think it'd be interesting to hear uh, your stories in the comment section below. So, two questions. What are your plans for Halloween, and have you ever been to any type of sleepaway camp? I'd love to hear your experiences and how it was as a kid, or maybe if you were a counselor, I think that'd be cool to hear too. But That's it for tonight, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful time listening. Take care of yourselves, each other, and as always, stay safe out there.